0: 651 641 1071. What's your homemade Christmas gift go to? This is the Colleen and Bradley Show, My Talk 1071. I'm Colleen Lindstrom. Bradley's off today. Holly Roberts and I are here with you. Good afternoon. Mm, Yes. Salutations. Yes. Yes. Uh, And I just was curious, what is your homemade Christmas gift go to? Um, Do you want to know why I'm asking? Please, Colleen, why are you asking this very important question this afternoon? Because sometimes, you know, sometimes I think like, The thing about gift giving that can be difficult is when you overly concern yourself with what the other person you think they want and then Mm -hmm. trying to find that thing. And then when that happens, when I get overly stressed about that, I think to myself, no, I want to make something. I want to put myself into something for somebody else. And I have every year I've got a new thing that I'm doing that I'm like, oh, I'm going to make that thing. Like last year I crocheted a lot. I did a lot of needlework, uh, or I did a lot of that kind of needlework. Yes. Like crocheting. So I made a lot of blankets for people. Um, this year, I'm like I've taken up cross stitch and it's been very fun and oh, soothing. Oh, okay. So, what kind of things are you cross stitching? Oh, just little samplers, like dumb little samplers. But you know, I've got. But part of it is just for me because it's relaxing and it's nice to have a side hobby. And you can't keep all your stuff, so you know, you do things that that remind you of other people, and then you kind of set it aside um, for you know gift giving. But I was thinking about it, and I was like, I want to know what other people do that is a homemade go-to gift. 651-641-1071. Should we go to the phone? Please. We've got Trish on the line. Hi Trish. Hi. Trish, what's your what's your go-to homemade Christmas gift?
1: Okay, my go-to is um little Christmas gnomes. And they're the ones like that have the sack on the bottom like full of rice. Yes. They're like fat little squishy gnomes. And they're so easy. Like so easy. You make those for people. I love that. Yeah, and I'm not crafty. Like last year, you know, Christmas 2020, I just kind of looked up a little craft, and it was, I've probably
0: made 10 of them now. It's just hot glue, hot glue in a sweater for the hat
1: and some felt.
0: Oh my gosh, they're so cute. I'm looking right now. How to turn a sock full of rice into a Scandinavian gnome. Nice. (laughs) That is so cute. Trisha, you don't even have to sew or anything? Nothing, no. Okay. hot glue. See, that's perfect Perfect. for the the non-crafty crafter. Thanks for your call, Trish. Have a great holiday. Thanks, Trish. Mm -hmm. 651-641-1071. What is your go-to homemade Christmas gift or holiday gift? Holly, do you have one? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I I am not a crafter. I am not handy. I don't do anything with my idle hands that I can talk about on the radio. Mm-hmm. So Thank you. <laughs> these are great. These are fantastic because it gives me ideas. It gives me hope. Just like the thing that you just need a hot glue gun. Right. With. Like Taylor emailed us and she said, usually, they said, usually some holiday themed decor like a wreath or a garland. Also like the added note, no pressure yeah. to keep something crafted at your home year round. Like you right. get it. Maybe you don't want it. Right. Keep it holiday focused. Yeah. Keep it fresh. Literally. I love it. Let's go to Deb. We've got Deb on the line. Hi, Deb. What's your homemade holiday go to? Oh,
1: hi. Are you talking to me?
0: Yes. yes. Hi,
1: Deb. Okay. Hi. Um, I love you guys. I got some of these. Um, they look like, God, I can't think of it now. They're a square. Black glass block, like for oh, sure. foundations or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. I found some of those, they had a cut in the top, like for coins or whatever. So that comes out and then I fill it with um, beads or flowers or any kind of a Christmas decoration that you can use. It sounds ugly, but, and then I put lights in it, clear lights all over in the side of it. And then I put, um, it's a cutout that says, believe and it's oh. in like a, um, I can't think of anything. It's like in a handwritten, yeah, like yeah. in
0: like a script. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. yes, and um, they're really pretty. I love that. You know, my mother in law has something like that at her house, and I love it when she pulls that out because the lights on the inside are so beautiful. Uh-huh. It's such a great. Yeah. It's such a great decoration item. Thank you, Deb. That's oh, a yeah. great exactly. idea.
1: Can I tell you how I learned about it. I bought one of these at a craft sale, and it said it takes a long time to grow up an old friend,
0: oh. and it was
1: decorated so beautiful. I bought that for my best friend. I so love that's how I started that. Them. I love that,
0: Deb. Thank you so much for your call. Yeah, thank you. And that's a great right. idea. Like, those are the kinds of things where, again, like Holly, you said, like, you don't feel artsy or crafty or any of that stuff. But a lot of those things are very easy. Like, anybody can do it. Yeah. And those are the things that I like. You know, sometimes there are things that you have a little more skill for that you, that you do. But sometimes it really is like you can just grab the pieces and put it together. And That sounds like yeah, one of those. There's an intimidation factor to crafting yeah. and doing all these kinds of things. That I admire so much, people who are genuinely talented and or have the gumption to do it. So these are great (laughs) ideas. Let's go to Jolene. Hi, Jolene. Jolene, what is your homemade Christmas
1: gift go to? Hi, my homemade Christmas go to is Bailey's Irish Cream. Oh my gosh, I did this one year. It's It's so super easy. So easy. And who doesn't want a little Bailey's during the Christmas season, especially me now, because I'm stringing my tree and I ran out of life. Oh, at the no, top.
0: Oh, Jolene, oh. Jolene, this is so funny. So one year I did that. I, we did. We did actually homemade Bailey's and then we did homemade Kahlua also. and We mm. gave it to our friends at a Christmas party. And guess what? Every single one of them drank it there. <laughs> and i was like that's what that wasn't what it was that for well, but they went know. all in uh jolene, jolene that, you know they liked it it's true <laughs> it's true but you can like the recipes are so easy and you can find them on google thank you for your call yeah, Jolene. thank you hit up the googs that's right hit up the googs get some of those they homemade presents they do um let's go to is it karen uh well let's go to karen hi karen hey karen what um what's your homemade christmas go to are you there hi Karen?
1: Hi. Hi. Hey, What's your
0: homemade Christmas gift go to?
1: Uh, Ornaments. Lots of beads and sequins.
0: Oh. Is there any particular ornament you do or just throw beads and sequins at something?
1: <laughs> well, there, there are kits that you can buy and make. Uh-huh. Or otherwise, it's made out of different cottons. and Yeah.
0: That's great, oh, too, yeah. because that's like a great every year... Reminder of, you know, of your friendship. I love that. Thank you for your call. Oh, thank you. Yeah, ornaments are great. And it's one of those things, decorating a holiday tree. Yeah. And when you go through the process of it and you find decorations you literally that are decades that, yeah. old. And so that's wonderful. Right. And it always brings up a memory, yeah. right? We we used to have a thing where we would buy ornaments on every vacation that we took. So every time you'd take out that vacation ornament, you'd remember the trip. It's so great. Let's go to Sue. Hi, Sue. Sue, you'll have the last word on this. What's your homemade gift go-to?
1: Hi, guys. Yeah, mine is also edible, and I'm going to give credit to the Stephanie's on the weekly dish. Nice. Shout out. We all got tired of Christmas cookies. So I do the roasted nuts that Mm -hmm. you glaze with maple syrup and herbs, and I always save my rosemary plant and my thyme plant I love that. And and I, I'm telling you because all my friends have commented how they love this so much more than Christmas cookies. I
0: love this. This is so good. You're right, Sue, because everybody does the Christmas cookies, and we all get a little to the point where we're like, I cannot look at another Christmas cookie. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. And they're sweet and savory.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. And you can put them in the freezer and bring them out in March and have some more. I love that.
0: Oh, I love awesome. that. Put them in the freezer. That's also really good advice. Thank yeah. you, Sue. Yeah, thanks, Sue. Oh, gosh. I can't wait to put Sue's nuts in my mouth. No kidding. I will tell you, I had a college roommate whose uh grandfather every year would make a ton of chex mix. But they didn't call it chex mix. Kim is listening right now. I know it. Kim feel free to text me. Uh they called it Snurf. And so he would make Snurf. His name was Fred, so we had Fred Snurf and when we would and that was like the best Christmas present for the whole fa- for the whole family for the whole house that we lived in in college. Yeah, Fred Snurf. and we would just power through that stuff. Oh man, homemade chex mix, extra best. buttery and L- a little seasoned, burnt, a little, a little wet. Oh, so good. Oh. Uh, oh, what I wouldn't give for some more of that right now when we come back on the Colleen and Bradley show, Holly watched west Side story the the remake of West Side Story. We're going to get Holly's full review after this on the Colleen and Bradley show on my talk one oh seven one. Well, Holly had the opportunity to see a movie that we should really all be talking about, West Side Story. This is a Colleen and Bradley show, My Talk 1071. I'm Colleen Lindstrom. Bradley Trainers off today. Holly Roberts and I are here with you. Hi. And Holly, you saw West Side Story this weekend. I did, Colleen. I went to an actual, honest-to-goodness, real movie theater, sat my buns in the seat, and treated myself to two and a half hours Of pure movie delight. Okay, so I'm gonna, we're gonna just be honest. When we first heard about the reboot of um, West Side Story, I think I will speak for myself. I was a little skeptical because I was like, why? 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 Exactly. Right? But the more we hear about this, we hear that this is an absolute masterpiece. Let me ask you this, Holly. Mm -hmm. Is it a masterpiece? Colleen, yes, I would say that this is the best of what movies have to offer. Capital M, old school movie. Go and see it on the big screen. It's hugely cinematic. It has a wonderful story to tell, done by a master of the medium, which is Steven Spielberg. He directed this movie. I think that was the other piece that, like, when I first heard Steven Spielberg is doing West Side Story, I was like, "What? am I... Like in some weird alternate universe? What just happened? It didn't compute for me. Yeah. But the more I hear about it, the more I think, oh no, it actually absolutely computes. Well, it didn't compute because Steven Spielberg had never directed a musical, which is why exactly. He did this project because it was like, well, I want to do more genre filmmaking. Haven't done a musical yet. Why don't I tackle one of the best known beloved musicals of the 20th century? So Yeah, when you take it at face value, it doesn't make sense. But when you go deeper and you just told me something I didn't really realize is that this was really an effort for him To kind of do something he hadn't yet done in his career. Yeah. Like a new frontier. Yeah, and why not? Keep pushing yourself artistically, which is what Steven Spielberg did with this movie. And yes, Colleen, going back to our early conversations about this project... Having a rather cynical take about it. And I know when I first saw the trailer for this, I was like, well, I thought that, well, I thought this was going to be a modern day telling of the story. Right. I but it, think we all thought there would be a new perspective to it. Right. And right? it was like, well, okay, so they're doing the same thing that they did in the 60s movie. Oh, okay. I, like, impress me. Yeah. Well, I'm here please. to tell you, Colleen, they totally impressed me. Wow. This movie builds on the original story makes it extremely urgent and relevant to the way that we live our lives now. And I would say with those changes, which were made by Tony Kushner, who did the screenplay, he's an, a genius. It, it, and Paul McGuire Grimes touched on that a little bit when he reviewed West Side Story. Yeah, He made changes to the story of West Side Story mm-hmm. that makes it better. Yeah. It really, honest to goodness, makes it better. It makes it relevant. There are artistic choices in this that I thought were so genius. Rita Moreno is in this movie. Her character is a new character in this. And, mm. it, it, and it's a take on a character I think that existed in the old one. It's been such a long time since I've seen right. the original West Side Story. But the way that they decide to use her character, Valentina, and the way that she interprets a specific song, it just... It, I like. I got. I got for A little for clement. A little for clement. Because no, it, it. Because it elevates the meaning of the song in a way. That had not been done. So it is a new perspective. So it is a new yeah. perspective on this story. Now, Rita Moreno was in the original, right? Yeah. She played Anita, yes. correct? She won an Academy Award for it. Right. So, like, the, to me, like, the thing I would be fascinated to do would be sit for an hour with Rita Moreno and hear the stories of what... What the what doing the first one was like? What made this one like from a behind the scenes perspective? What made this a different experience? Well, and Rita Moreno is an executive producer on this new movie. That's awesome. So she had influence in the way that the story was being told. And there's a lot of really important things about the way the story is being told. Yes. Um. uh, You know, the chief among or one of many things that's really important about it is that they actually were um casting Latinx actors in those roles You're yes. in the original one or the, the Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear?
1: Check Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us
0: And dating safer,
1: they've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
0: The first, the first cinematic telling of West Side Story, there were Caucasian actors playing some of those roles. Yeah, Natalie Wood played Maria in the yeah. first one. Yeah, Natalie Marie, uh, Natalie Wood is not from Puerto Rico. No, uh, and she is not Latina. Or she wasn't. So,
1: Mm -hmm. yeah,
0: making changes like that, uh, uh, changing the story and framing it in a way that, you know, you have empathy for everyone involved in this story. Because I don't want to give too much away because I want everyone to go see it. Now, the weak link in this new version of West Side Story, agreeing with Paul McGuire Mm -hmm. Grimes, is Ansel Elgort. Who plays the role of Tony, the male lead in this movie? Ugh. It, you know, bless- that feels kind of like a massive oversight to have a crappy Tony. Yeah, you know, bless his heart, mm-hmm. he's not bad. I don't want to say he's bad, but there is a community theater element to his performance. Though no, no beef against community theater. Right. Some of my best friends are community yes. theater. But when you're making a $100 million Steven Spielberg global spectacular... There's an expectation. There is an expectation because they cast from the best of the best from Broadway. Everyone right. in this movie is extremely talented. And then you see him doing it, and it's either they wanted him to have a, um, a basic vibe to this mm-hmm. performance because they wanted him to be relatable, or... Or they just miscast him. I don't know which is which, but really, honestly, I was impressed. I take back any kind of skepticism I had about this version of West Side Story. And even Ansel Elgort couldn't ruin it. Yeah, even Ansel Elgort couldn't ruin it. So go and see it. it. Yeah, I love it. Thank you, Holly. I actually, I I will wait for it to stream, but I can't wait to see it. (laughs) When we come back on The Colleen and Bradley Show, celebrities behaving badly, we call them... D-Bags. After this, on My Talk 1071. This is the Colleen and Bradley Show on My Talk 1071. i I'm Colleen Lindstrom. Bradley Trainer's off today. He'll be back tomorrow. Holly Roberts and I are here with you today. Greetings. And we have uh, some celebrities behaving badly to tell you about. We call them D-Bags. Presenting Lord and Lady Douchebag of the Day. Uh, who's your D-Bag, Holly? I have. A, a, a bag of like literally a bag of d bags today. So wow! I've got unpack it. Well, let's unpack this uh, wonderful uh, holiday gift d baggery we have inside our package today. Such names as Aaron Sorkin, <gasps> Anne Hathaway, what Jessica Chastain, what, and basically everybody who's coming to the defense of actor Jeremy Strong. Okay, I'm going to need you to walk me through this. I don't know who a Jeremy Strong is and why Uh we don't want him to be defended. Well, sure, you can defend it. So let's start from the beginning. (laughs) But this is just because... I. uh. So let's go back to about a week ago, (laughs) where the New Yorker published an extensive profile on actor Jeremy Strong. Now, you might not know the name, but he currently stars in the show Succession. Ooh, my husband loves that show. As Kendall Roy. I don't know what that means. Well, one of the siblings uh, Mm -hmm. of the Roy family at the center of the show. And this New Yorker profile talked about how Jeremy Strong is a very intense actor on the set of Succession. Lots of people going on the record. Mm Mm-hmm talking about working with Jeremy Strong, for example, Colleen, some of his current co-stars, including Kiernan Culkin and Brian Cox, who were both quoted in this piece, mm-hmm. they're kind of like, they're kind of impressed with him, kind of worried and slightly annoyed at his acting methodology. You know, for example, Colleen, you would probably Ooh. find him annoying because he's particularly method. No. Where in this New Yorker profile... They literally go back to the story that I told a couple of weeks ago about Dustin Hoffman on the set of Marathon Man with Lawrence Olivier being like, my son, why don't you try acting? Mm-hmm. Brian Cox has similar advice for Jeremy Strong because mm-hmm. apparently he's pretty intense. Well, so it's a very nuanced, complex celebrity profile. Right. And you're kind of left feeling any number of ways. It's a Rorschach test, right? right. So. People were kind of criticizing Jeremy Strong, some people being like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But then all of a sudden, all these people are like, won't somebody please think of Jeremy Strong? Including, but not limited to the following, last week, Jessica Chastain, she tweeted out, I've known Jeremy Strong for 20 years and worked with him on two films. He's a lovely person. Very inspiring and passionate about his work. The profile that came out on him was incredibly one-sided. Don't believe everything you read, folks. Snark sells, but maybe it's time we move beyond it. Like, whoa. Okay, wow. Why are you shaming the celebrity profile, Jessica Chastain? That's a little defensive. And then, but wait, there's more. So then on Friday, Aaron Sorkin enters the chat. He was the director of Molly's Game and worked with Jeremy Strong. Okay. But the way that the message was delivered was just doubly debaggy because Jessica Chastain posted the following on Twitter on Friday. Mm-hmm. Aaron Sorkin doesn't have social media, so he asked me to post this letter on his behalf. Okay. I don't even want to bother reading the whole letter because oh, it I is it's so, just insufferable. It is insufferable and beyond pretentious. Like, Aaron Sorkin, you're in the media. Get some kind of yeah. social media if and you, you don't have to use it. If you want to talk to the people, get yourself some social media. Don't make Jessica Chastain do your dirty work. Publish your letter. I feel like I Chastain going to do that. Yeah. Like, Thank you. Thank you. So that's <laughs> just beyond. That is just mind bogglingly pretentious that you would write this long letter. Oh, my gosh. That, I'm looking at it. Yeah. You're just looking at the text and you're like, too long, didn't read too long, didn't read. And then Anne Hathaway jumps in. And also weighs in with her two cents defending Jeremy Strong. Now, the thing is, Colleen, Jeremy Strong doesn't need to be defended by any of these people. It's not a takedown article. It is a complex celebrity profile researched impeccably by a journalist who is doing his job in the way that he's supposed to. It's not a People.com exclusive. Right. We have been trained to accept pr as actual reporting right so that's what that speaks to me right. it also speaks to me that these people are afraid that they're gonna have some journalist at the new yorker write a profile on them that's gonna make them not look like they are the way that they want to be mm-hmm. perceived which mm-hmm. is just that's kind of the danger of playing the game i suppose right. It's not a pre-packaged PR thing. This is a piece of legitimate journalism. This isn't like I'm on the cover of People Magazine exclusively crafting my story in a way that's easy to digest. And that is essentially a PR piece. The, you know, and words. Aaron Sorkin, I don't want to read your words. Well, and like you just said, I mean, there is a... Oh, okay. First <laughs> of all, this sort of smells like everybody inserting them into themselves into a story. Like, again... A celebrity is, a celebrity makes themselves available to the public's impression of them. Yes. And that is for better or for worse. So it is not then incumbent upon people who worked alongside that celebrity to vouch for them. <laughs> right. Right. And that's the mistake that we get. I mean, that is like the, the Russian nesting doll of, um, of, of, of Hollywood right now is people jumping to somebody's defense who doesn't really honestly need their defense. No, like at the end of the day, Jeremy strong can be responsible for who Jeremy strong is in the room. And if somebody did a piece about him, that is not flattering, then play the actual PR game and find somebody else to do a piece that's slightly more flattering. Right. 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 It So it was really don't call on your buddies to step up for you. Well, and that's fascinating, too. And the conspiratorial part of my mind is like, well, why? Why Anne Hathaway? Why Jessica Chastain? Right. Why Aaron Sorkin? Why do they feel compelled to publicly defend Jeremy Strong in a in a. In something that wasn't an attack piece, it which wasn't. Is, it wasn't meant to be an attack piece, which is partly why I feel like this smells like trying to insert yourself into a story that wasn't about you to begin with. Thank you. Also, I double down on the fact that I just find method acting to be so debaggy. That's why I wanted to bring it just to you. Just in general, yes. I just am like, come on, yeah. Now stop it. Jeremy Strong is uh, pretty fantastic in Succession, which wrapped up season three last night, and whoo if you are watching that show. Yeah, my husband is watching it. Chef's yeah. kiss to the finale because that was a pretty brilliant piece of television. But here's the deal. Like, again, I, who was it that said that? Why don't you try acting? Like, yeah, Lawrence Olivier. You can still be a great actor and not act like a D-bag all the time. Right? Like, you can play a D-bag on a show that's acting. If I don't know, I just I struggle, and I know there's some acting something that is listening that is like you don't understand. And the truth is, you're right. Yeah. I don't, and yeah. I'm not an actor, and I don't even play one on the radio. I did high school theater, and that's about as far as I went <laughs> in my career. Yeah, so I'm not gonna read. Well, I did read Aaron Sorkin's full letter, so you don't have to. So don't. Okay. okay who's your d right, Thank you for asking. It's L. L. Not the letter L, L, L like magazine, like L.com, E-L-L-E. Fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Okay, here's the headline. It is so, I. they must think we're stupid. Yeah, probably. Because here's the headline in L Magazine that made me name them my D-bag today. Brad Pitt would love to date again after Jennifer Aniston said she's ready to. So, what you then are treated to is a very long story that's I think supposed to make you believe that those two are planning on dating each other since they're both ready to date again. No. And this is what I want to say to Elle and to everybody else. Let's let's just let let's just give up on them as a concept. Yeah. You know, if they got back together, a la Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, great. It would be what it is, but let, let the dream die, guys. Let's just like let it go. Let it go, man. They were so sweet and adorable when they were together and we loved it. And that was a time and we don't have to go back to that time. Anyway, this, this article goes on to be like, yeah, Brad Pitt said he was, he's ready to date again. And Jennifer Aniston also said she was ready to date again. And then it brings you down memory lane about their relationship and then. Like things that she's said, there's no thesis is what I'm saying. It just rambles. It just rambles, but it's there to make you believe you are clicking on an article about the two of them, maybe possibly getting back together or at least be being ready to get back together because they're both ready to date. Let the dream die. Let it go. Just, just let it go. It's, it's okay. It's okay. It's never going to happen. Maybe they're amicable friends We don't know. Yeah, maybe. Or or maybe it's good for their careers to act like they're amicable friends. Yes. And also it's good for their careers to act like maybe they'd consider dating each other. But like, also, can I just say on Jennifer Aniston's behalf, she is a grown ass woman who is talented and she is a, a businesswoman in her own right. And she doesn't like we need to stop trying to find her a pair. Yeah, she is successful and has heated floors throughout her entire Mm -hmm. mansion. Why does she need to have a significant other? Why did so? That's a whole. I mean, yeah, that's a whole different discussion. That is a whole different discussion that there is this idea that you have to be coupled in a very specific way in order to have a fulfilling life. Mm hmm. And that perhaps we can also move on from that, just like we're moving on from Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. Right, because the other narrative about Jennifer Aniston is about poor Jennifer Aniston. Why did she never have a baby? Oh. And she talks about that. Now, here's what I will say. I do think that there's, oh, I'm going to say it. Come on. I do Come think on. that there's a level of Jennifer Aniston that has played that storyline a little bit. Oh, absolutely. To her advantage. Yes. However, the fact that that is a storyline at all is we should all be a little bit embarrassed Mm -hmm. because it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, no, Jennifer Aniston either will get back together with Brad Pitt or she won't. My money's on she won't. Uh -uh. And it doesn't actually matter either way. And I think that the ship has sailed on her having a child. And 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 we should just accept it all. Yeah. And that, oh, you there can't be wildly successful. With a wonderful friend group, a fulfilling career. And heated floors throughout your house. I mean, I'm sorry. I am stuck on that because it's like, you live your best life. Oh, man. You just live your best life. Listen, like that is like at the top of the list of things that were I able to, I would do. Yeah. Heated floors is like a luxury. You win, Jennifer Aniston. You You win. You are winning at life. Mm -hmm. That is our measure. When we come back on the Colleen and Bradley show, oh my gosh, I'm really, I'm for once excited to talk about JoJo Siwa. What? What? Why? I know. I'll tell you why after this on My Talk 107.1. This is the Colleen and Bradley show, My Talk 107.1. I'm Colleen Lindstrom. Bradley trainer's off today. Holly Roberts and I are here with you. Have a you And I'm very excited to talk about JoJo Siwa. Excuse me? I know. I know. Excuse me? Can you can you repeat that? Yeah, I'm very excited to talk about JoJo Siwa. What? I'm going to go with you, Colleen, on this Thank journey. You. I am strapped in and I am ready about why the heck we're excited to talk about JoJo Siwa. So, okay. So, we've asked this question for a long long time. We when we first kind of came to the JoJo Siwa table, we were fascinated, I would say maybe um by the like loudness of her and the the vocals and the colors and the yelling and the and the not really quite an adultness of her and almost like an infantilization of her. Yes, we were fascinated by it because we were like, oh, she is making money off of acting like a child uh-huh. when she's a teenager, and at some point we uh, we mused. At some point, she's going to have to grow out of this. If she's going to have, if she will, if she is planning to have a career beyond this age and stage of her life, she's going to need to figure out how to transition to a more adult version of herself. Yeah. Because we went on tours of Jojo Siwa's house, which was a literal rainbow explosion mm-hmm. of all the branded products that were in the Jojo Siwa, Siwa land. Everything was like, ah, I don't yes. even
1: want to do it because.
0: People are going to send nasty letters and be like, you are annoying. And I'll be like, yes, I know. I know. And she could get away with it. Uh-huh. And she and made, a lot, made a lot of money doing yeah. it. Right. And so, a lot of kids are fans of hers. They they are. Well, I just, the reason why I, I wanted to talk about her today, and the reason I'm excited actually to talk about her is because we said like, how is she going to make this transition? Well, I'm here to tell you it's happening before our very eyes. Ooh. And we may not even realize that it's happening because she's doing it so expertly. And I think a lot of it had to do, or a lot of it was brought, a lot of it kind of was triggered by her choosing to go on Dancing with the Stars. I think it had started before that. She had given us like floated out little test balloons, right? Like letting her hair down and it, not being JoJo with the bobo with the tight, tight ponytail mm-hmm. um, on her TikToks. And then we saw her come out yep. and then we saw her have a relationship, a real grown-up relationship with um her now ex girlfriend um whose name was Kylie Prue Poo. oh no it wasn't <laughs> sorry I think her last name was Prue. Anyway. Let's just say that sorry. she had a girlfriend named she, Kylie. Had a girlfriend. <laughs> she just had a girlfriend um, and they've now oh. broken up. But 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 the thing that was happening at the same time, like simultaneously, so she was having all of those real life experiences, but then when she went on Dancing with the Stars, that's when she went from teeny bopper to more sophisticated. And that, I think that that was a process. Um, she was given the opportunity to make history by being the first person to dance with the same sex partner. Now, I do have some significant issues with that because I, 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 my issue is with Dancing with the Stars and not with her mm-hmm. because they should be offering that to everybody. Oh yeah, and I don't mean just. Um, people who are in same-sex relationships, I mean, that should be offered to everybody. Yeah. What is your comfort level? Mm -hmm. If they're going to offer it to Jojo Siwa, that should be available across the board as an opportunity for anybody. But but still, groundbreaking, history-making, yay, wonderful. But then she had this relationship, and by relationship, I mean friendship, with her um, dance partner, Jenna Johnson-Schmerkowski, who's married to that no 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 the other one okay great the other we're really good with names we are it's fine there's a lot of people on that show but so i read this story that i had not heard about jojo siwa being really uncomfortable with her body and wanting to wear like a baggy shirt um you know and jojo siwa is an empire unto herself so that woman has been wearing a baggy shirt if she feels like wearing a baggy shirt Mm -hmm. but jenna was like you can't wear that in in rehearsals because it's important and jojo should know this as a dancer it's important for me to see your lines and the way that i see your lines is when i can see your body and so you have to take that shirt off and jojo was like no and um it was at in that time that jenna kind of took her aside and was like Helped her kind of see her worth. And I just feel like, again, we're seeing this transition of Jenna, not Jenna, of Jojo Siwa going from the yelly, bright colored, obnoxious, a little too much for everybody. Human confetti. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Total human <laughs> confetti. Yes. But like more like glitter, because it's like you can't get it out of yeah. some areas. Right. Like it just stays there. Scrub though you may. It just sort of is there. But she's really And I think she's doing it so expertly that we're not even seeing it happen. That's why I wanted to draw attention to it. Because if she just one day showed up and was, you know, trying to put on the adult version of herself, we'd all smell it. We'd be like, okay, like, nice try. But I actually think she's growing into it and we're watching it happen. And I'm excited for her. Yeah, because we actually had a conversation, truth, true story off the air with our boss who was talking about a conversation they had with somebody else about that that person kind of thinking I used to not like her and now I like Jojo Siwa. What happened? Well, I think that was all by design. Yeah, and we've seen this journey before and we've seen The different routes that people can take to get on that journey from child star to adulthood. And one of the things that I'm finding refreshing about this journey for Jojo Siwa is that it's not so centered on being like the only way that you can transition from being a child into being an adult is being explicitly sexual. Thank you that actually is wonderful that's because we've like you said we've seen a lot of people try to make this transition and it is often not successful yes and one of the things that typically people lean into is this highly sexualized version right of this person because it's like oh well you're not a child anymore And all right, well, the only way that you can alert the public that you're no longer playing child's games is by going full throttle Mm -hmm. into your adult sexual identity. Right. And we've seen that happen, play out time and time again. And with Jojo, it's just like she is transitioning into adulthood in the way that so many of us do. You know, we have relationships. We have body image. We have all of these things. And it's like, oh, okay. so kudos to Jojo her management team or whoever is advising her and it's like, yeah. Well, she seems really well adjusted. You can be really well adjusted yeah. in this. You can still have the glitter. You can still be the human confetti, but how are we going to adjust that a little bit so that as your fans grow mm-hmm. older, you can bring those fans along. Yeah, they grow can with them. grow with them. Mm-hmm. And you can have new admirers like, you know, we're kind of I definitely am looking at her and thinking kudos like somebody is caring for her in a way that is about her personhood and not just about the money that she can bring in yeah and I think however she has structured her team um and maybe she's driving the bus a little bit too right I'm sure she is thinking like how do I retain this success and not do it wrong I think we've seen so many not success stories that that she's smart about this Mm -hmm. and i am celebrating her because like you said she's not leaning super hard into this like hyper sexualized version of herself she still i think is recognizing that that loud mouth human confetti piece is still there yeah but how do you contain it in a way that is more palatable as you move forward in life go go ahead with your bad self yes jojo siwa i'm here for it when we, I cannot believe I just said that. When we come back on the Colleen and Bradley show, a very important question. Which is more vile, sardines or tuna? 651-641-1071. Holly will explain to us why we're asking that after this.